welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, hello, everyone. It's good to see you. There he goes. There's like three of you here. That's good. Well, Excited to be with you here today and to be able to open up God's Word with you together. Uh, today's a good day. Uh, my name is Greg Clark. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, I love telling people that it's a good day. And I know I've gotten some feedback before. Um, I've had a, a few times that people have said, I, 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 I'm not experiencing what you're experiencing. When you say it's a good day, I don't think it's a good day. I want to clarify what that means. Because we can actually be having, in the physical realm, we can be having a, a really horrible, no good, very bad day. Like one of those kind of days you go, man, I might just want to roll over, go back to sleep, and I'll wake up tomorrow, I'll see how it works out then. Uh, we might be having one of those kind of experiences, but at the very same time, we have a really good God who is super aware of us, who has promised that he's never going to leave us or forsake us, one who pr- draws near to us particularly in our difficulties. And so when we look at it that way, we can say, oh God, today has been really hard, and as I look ahead at what's coming, it's going to be harder, and I'm going to be sad, or I might be anxious, or I might be all kinds of things. But God, I am going to say, God, today is a good day because you are a good God, and I'm going to step up and I'm going to give you praise today. Would you come and walk with me through this? So today is a good day, even though sometimes it's a hard day. And I want to talk about something that's hard right now because it's a part of what we're talking about as we're going through this last Sunday on fasting. One of the hard things that I have, uh, that has just struck my heart for years now, as I look around our world, there's a lot of things that are not right in our world. There's a lot of things that are not right. And one of the things that's not right is that there are people all over the place that are experiencing a level of, of insecurity in their life that causes them great distress. So people who are experiencing housing insecurity, people that are, back when I was younger, we just called it homelessness, but now we've, we've kind of ramped it up that housing insecurity is, a, is actually a better term. The reason it's a better term is because sometimes when we think of homelessness, we often think about some of the people who we can see very easily, people who might be on the streets uh, or in the parks or huddled in back alleys. Uh, Sometimes they're in the encampments, like the ones that are being shut down and torn apart in Edmonton. Um, And here in Beaver Lodge, we have people that we would say are very visible, homeless type of people. Uh, But there is something even more than that. The term housing insecurity is helpful for us uh, because it actually encapsulates a much larger picture than just the people who are at this point living on the streets. So some people are considered couch surfers. They go from house to house, staying with friends until uh, their welcome is worn out. Often what they do is they trade various services that we don't often talk about for room and board. Some people uh, miss making their rent or their mortgage payments and they're on the verge of losing it all and they kind of live day by day in the hopes that they're not going to be kicked out of their apartment. Uh, Some others might make rent by the end of the, the month, 
but oftentimes throughout the year their, their heat or electricity is turned off, and so they, they go through very cold months or very dark months. They don't often have a whole lot of food. Their food budget is stretched very thin. There's families that are holding down one, two, three jobs just to make ends meet. Some that are in between jobs because they've been laid off or injured or something like that. And they're doing all that they can to help to feed their, their children, to clothe their children. Doing everything they can, as best as they can, to keep from continuing to go farther and farther down. But it seems to be there's a large group of people that continue to go deeper and deeper in debt. And while some of the government programs that are set aside to help those that are experiencing this are helpful, there's lots that are not helpful. And it seems to be this difficult problem that we continue to struggle with. Rampant inflation that has happened lately, I know we've all felt it. We know going to the grocery store. I love the, the memes that I see where, where it shows you know, those little toy carts that you can get, those toy grocery carts, and you can put like an apple inside of it or something like that, and it says, went to the grocery store today, spent 300 bucks. Like, it's just like, you know, it seems like we all get the fact that everything's more expensive now, and, and that rampant inflation is causing many families to find themselves underneath the poverty line. The statistics in our world are staggering. When we think of Western, the Western world, North America, we actually are a very affluent nation, and yet we have much difficulty here. But when we look at the whole world, there's about 2 billion people in our world that are experiencing poverty. They're under the poverty line. Around the world, about 10% of the population, or about 700 million people, live in extreme poverty on less than $2 a day. Now, things do cost less in some spaces, but $2 a day really doesn't go that far. Here in Alberta, in the Food Banks Canada 2023 report card, Alberta received a D grade, A, B, C, D, F, a D grade, just above failing. When it came to areas of social assistance, disability assistance, and food security, now, I am not wanting to be political, so let's just pause for a moment. If you are thinking politics, if right now you are thinking, well, the UCP have a plan for this, or, oh, I wish we would go NDP because they have a plan for this. If you're thinking political right now, stop it, because this is not a political, there we go. It's not a political conversation. This is a human conversation, and we need to talk about the reality that for many people, it is really hard to make it nowadays. And so when we're talking about what do we do about this big issue of housing insecurity, of poverty, of, of families going to bed hungry at night, maybe without heat, without electricity, all these type of things, what are we going to do? I talked about Alberta, but let's look really closely at the Grand Prairie Salvation Army. They reported at the end of last year they had 1,400 new families, new households who accessed the food bank last year. 1,400 new households uh, accessed the food bank last year. They have thousands of people. I think, they, I think the, the stat is over 100,000, no, that's not quite, over 10,000 people accessed their services last year. Now, there are numerous reasons for what's happening that's happening. Numerous reasons for this. And we're not going to be able to look at any of those reasons today. That's not what we're here for. But what we're going to get into is being able to answer the question, what can we do? 
What can we do? Sometimes we look at big problems like this and we go, this is so staggering, our mind starts to boggle, and then we quickly go to our phones and just start you know, scrolling social media again to distract ourselves, to look the other way, because we just can't, we can't, we can't take in all that's going on. So I want to offer for you something that's simple, something that we can all grasp, something that we can all do. There is a practice from the way of Jesus that we can actually enter into that will help us stand against this. And if you, I mean, hopefully you've, you know by now we're in this season of fasting and learning about fasting. And that is the practice that I think today we're going to talk about. I'm going to show you how this practice of fasting can help us to address this problem. Over the last three Sundays before this, uh, we've explored the power of fasting for personal transformation. And today we want to go from the internal to the external and begin to talk about the power of fasting for the transformation of our society. Throughout church history, fasting is one of the main practices that followers of Jesus have adopted to move towards the hungry, to move towards those people that find themselves on the margins. So here's where we've been so far. So the last three Sundays, we've looked at how fasting has helped us to offer ourselves to Jesus, to grow in holiness, and to amplify our prayers. And today we are looking at how fasting can help us to stand with the poor. Now now this is an aspect of fasting that might be new to you. We may not think of fasting as a vehicle for the biblical vision of justice or or for a way that we can look after widows and orphans, which we are called to do, or for a, a way that we can stand with the poor. But in the imagination of the biblical writers, as the Holy Spirit spoke to the authors of Scripture to show them a better way, fasting became this amazing conduit, this amazing uh, place for us to stand together with the poor. Now, if you remember last week, Um, We looked at Isaiah 58. You don't really need to remember what we talked about then because I'm going to share that now. But in Isaiah 58, we found an amazing picture for the purpose of fasting. And if you remember uh, in this passage, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. So these are God's words prophesied through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel were fasting. They had a regular practice of fasting. I know that sometimes here in the church we're like fasting. We never do fasting, but we love Jesus. Back here in this time, Israel was fasting, but they were sort of ignoring God. But they were fasting at this time, and God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel, and and he is speaking to them because Israel had been chosen to be God's representatives to the world. They were meant to be a nation that all the other nations would look at Israel and they'd say, oh, Israel has this amazing God who cares for them and loves them and looks out for them. They were meant to be an example of who God is to the rest of the world, God's ambassadors to the world, but they were falling woefully short. Now, the reason why this is important to us is because we are described today, the church today, us, we, are described in very similar ways to the way that Israel was described in the Old Testament. Today, God calls us a kingdom of priests, his representatives, his ambassadors, his example to the world of who he is. So as we draw near to this passage today, we need to not just think this was God's message for Israel back in a long time ago. This is God's message perhaps for us today. 
So here is the word of God, Isaiah chapter 58. Listen to what the Israelites begin. God quotes the Israelites by saying, we, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? The people are asking God. We've we fasted for you, God, and you've not seen us. You've not noticed us. What is going on? So listen to what God's reply is. He quotes them, and then he says, Yet on the day, so he says, Yeah, you're fasting, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. So that's what we looked at last week. That God wants to hear his people. There is this expectation as we draw near to God in fasting that God hears us at a different level. God here says, you can't be wicked and expect me to hear you. But the idea is, if you fast and you are righteous, then I will listen to what you are saying. So that's what we looked at last week. But there's more to it. This passage continues and it has some amazing stuff in it. So let's look at what the, what God speaks through Isaiah in these next passages. So God says, Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Now, what might not be super apparent is, as we read this, uh, is that God is saying that fasting is not meant to just be all about you. It's not meant to be just about you. And the reason we know this is because what he says in the next passage. So listen to what God says as he describes, here's the kind of fast that I would love to see happen. So here's what he says. It, this, God speaks again to Israel and to us. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Here's the kind of fasting God has chosen. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Oh my goodness. What a great picture of what fasting could be. Did you pick up on some of these things? I've got the list up on the screen now. Here's some of the things that God says. Here's the kind of fast I want to see. The kind of fast God wants to see is a fast that fights injustice, that frees people from oppression, that, that a, a kind of fast that, that you share your food with the hungry, where you provide shelter to refugees, immigrants, and those who have no home, that you clothe the naked, and that you meet the practical needs of the people all around you. That's the kind of fast that God says, this is the fast that I would like to see. Now, is this the kind of fast we practice? It's fasting that makes a difference. It's fasting that makes a difference. Now look, I want you to look at something because this is really cool, okay? So keep watching with me as God continues to speak to the Israelites and to us in this passage because it gets even better. Because first off, as I look at this kind of a fast, I'm like, that's the kind of fast I want to be a part of. 
I want my life to be all about setting free the oppressed and clothing the naked and looking out for the poor and helping those that need help. That's what I want to see happen. But there's more to this passage that is oh so exciting. So remember the Israelites' questions at the very beginning of this passage. They say, why have we fasted and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? So they, they say, God, you're, you don't see us. You don't notice us. And of course God does. Of course God does. But they're only looking at themselves. They're only looking at themselves. They're staring at their belly button and going, God, why don't you notice us? And God's speaking to them. He's like, I notice. I notice. I notice you're wicked. I notice what you're doing. I get it. But if we do this part, so they start with these questions, and God says, here's the kind of fast I want to see. And then God says, if you do this kind of fast, here's what's going to happen. So if we do God's kind of fast, in that same passage, God says, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the this is so good. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Here am I. I've been stuck in the last couple of weeks on this passage from Jeremiah. This passage from Jeremiah, where God is speaking, again, through the prophet Jeremiah to his people. And he says, if you seek me out with all of your heart, then I will be found by you. I love this picture. I love this picture of God kind of saying that I'm sort of hidden. I'm sort of hidden, but if you seek me out with all of your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you. I love this because when my kids were younger, they're all mostly getting grown up now. But my 21-year-old son, Gavin, um, when, when he was younger, um, he was probably like maybe five, six years old, something like that. We'd play hide-and-go-seek. All my kids love to play hide-and-go-seek. And, uh, and it's, it was really fun. So I, I would go hide somewhere, and often it was like, like, there wasn't a lot of places to hide, but I'd lay on their bed and put the blanket over me or something like that, and they'd just walk right by me. They'd search everywhere trying to find me, and, uh, and they'd get discouraged. And you'd hear them going, Dad, Dad, where are you? And I'd whistle like that. And their feet would start to, and they'd go running in the wrong direction. <laughs> it was really fun. Dad, Dad, and I'd whisper over here, and they'd run back over here, and I'd just keep doing that until all of a sudden they'd come into the room, and they'd pull the blanket back, and I'd go, ah, and they'd be like, ah, and I was like, they sought me with all their heart, and I just went, until they found me, and we celebrated. Now, here's a fun story. Gavin, when he was like five or six years old, um, he went and hid. And he had terrible hiding spots, right? He'd be like behind the post or something. (laughs) Right? So I'd pretend I didn't see him. Where are you, buddy? Where are you? Right? But one time, so we had done this a bunch of times. And one time, um, we we came, uh, I came into my bedroom, and I could see he was under the blanket. Like this huge lump, right? It's like so obvious, right? This is so obvious. So I'm walking by the bed. Gavin, where are you? And I'm kind of pulling the cover up under the bed. Gavin, where are you? And I'm going around. And I did this for like five minutes. And I think I'm so clever. 
Because I'm like, here's this lump. He knows. And I, so I go and I rip back the blankets. And he had piled up pillows. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? He jumps out of the closet. <laughs> and I was like, how did you do that? That's hilarious. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. So we think about this passage from Jeremiah. We come back to this passage to Isaiah. And God says, here's the kind of fast I would like to see you do. One that notices everybody else. Not one that looks at your belly button, but one that notices the poor. Notices those on the margins. One who notices the people I notice. Notices the ones who need help, who need someone to walk by. I have blessed you, Israel. I've blessed you, church, to go out there and notice people who need some encouragement, some love, some help. When you do that, when you do that, then I will notice you. Now, God always notices us, right? He always notices us. But there is something special that happens here when, when we draw near to God by noticing the people that he notices, all of a sudden we're right there where God is at. We're right there where God is at. We often pray a prayer, God, would you bless my work? Instead of praying a prayer, God, where are you at work already that I can line up with you and be right where you're at? God is saying, here, this is what it looks like. If you notice the people who I already am noticing who need my presence, if you show up there, there I am already. Fasting in this way helps us to get in tune with the heart of the Father and draw near to Him to notice the people that God notices who need His presence this is a whole other dimension to fasting than the previous three sessions we've gone through. It has way less to do about, with us and way more to do with others. In Isaiah 58, this picture, such a beautiful picture, way back a while ago, St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, wrote a commentary on Isaiah 58, and here's what he said. He said, break your bread for those who are hungry, said Isaiah. Do not believe, and this is Augustine talking about, he says, do not believe that fasting suffices. Fasting chastises you, but it not, does not refresh the other. Do you, do you wish your prayer to reach God? Give it two wings, fasting and almsgiving. Fasting and almsgiving. Now, that's a word that Augustine used a long time ago that we really don't understand nowadays. We don't use that word almsgiving. But almsgiving means generosity, service, and justice. It's all that stuff. Generosity, service, and justice. Biblically, what, what, what St. Augustine is saying here is when you come to fasting, if you want to be praying to God, if you want to be in His presence, if you want your prayers to, to reach Him, all our prayers, of course, reach God. God knows everything. But if you want your prayers to, to step into this place of power, you have fasting and you partner together with acts of generosity, service, and justice. And when we behave in this way, it's like our prayers, like a, like a bird, go up to heaven. 
Now, followers of Jesus have been practicing this type of fasting for, for, since Jesus was around. And there's this old Christian book that was circulated amongst the early church around the early 2nd century called The Shepherd of, of Hermas. And there's just this little piece in there that's a really neat um, description of, of how people should enter into fasting. And here's what it says. Estimate the cost of the food you would have eaten on that day and give that amount to a widow or orphan or someone in need. Be humble in this way, that the one who receives something because of your humility may fill his soul and pray to the Lord for you. St. Gregory of Nyssa, from the 4th century in Cappadocia, uh, said, Give to the hungry what you deny your own appetite. Caesarius of Arles in France in the 6th century said, Let us fast in such a way that we lavish our lunches upon the poor so that we may not store up in our purses what we intended to eat, but rather in the stomachs of the poor. What all these great ones of the faith are saying together is that we can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with our neighbor. When we press into Jesus, the invitation that's there is to love our neighbors really, really well. And fasting is a way to love people that maybe we don't normally walk side by side. Now, fasting, when we want to talk about fasting, I want to talk about three quick things today about fasting. Three things that fasting, this kind of fasting helps us with. And the first is that this kind of fasting helps us to stand in solidarity with the hungry. Now, when we regularly uh, step aside with food, now, food is not the only way of fasting, but that's the way we're kind of talking about right now. But when we regularly step away from food and we feel that hunger, we can connect emotionally with the millions of people who don't fast by choice. When we fast by choice, we connect with the millions of people that are fasting not by choice, but because of circumstances. So this denial of our stomachs does something to our hearts. It gives us compassion. It, gives us, uh, uh, um, it helps us to notice those who need to be noticed. I remember a while back at a youth retreat, uh, we served a meal, and uh, we were at a camp, and the meal that we served was a, was a small bowl of rice and black beans. That's all that the kids got. It was filling. I mean, that will fill your stomach. But the kids were saying, can we have some sauce with this? Can we have some salt with this? Can we have some meat with this? And we're like, this is what you get. And, you, and only water. A little bit of rice, a little bit of beans, and then water. And then we led them through a devotional that said that most of the world, this would be more food than they would eat in a whole day. There's many people in this world that a small bowl of rice and beans is more than they would eat in a whole day. And the kids all of a sudden, they entered into a time of prayer, of praying that God would, would pour out uh, provision for the people in the world that only had a small bowl of rice and beans. Their hearts were moved with compassion towards those who didn't have very much because they experienced not having very much. That's what fasting helps us with. It helps us to stand in solidarity with the hungry. Fasting also helps us uh, to share what we have. And this is incredibly practical. What we give up in money spent on food can be turned into generosity to the poor. Uh, and I don't know how much money you would say you, you, you spend in, in food. But I mean, it's not just food. If, if you maybe decided, I'm going to give up Netflix for the month and I'm going to take that money, which is becoming more and more every month, I'm going to take that money and give to the poor. Who knows what it's going to look like, right? But there's all these opportunities for us to, to put aside something that we can have 
in order to take those funds and give it to somebody else. Now, there's, there's this thing nowadays, um, this, this term slacktivism. Do you guys know this term slacktivism? So what it, what it describes, it describes the effort people make on social media to petition and cry out for justice while, making, while actually doing nothing about it. So they, they talk big, but their actions are small. The, the social media warrior type of activism is all over the place right now. It looks really good. It looks really good, but it actually accomplishes very little. Alternatively, there's a biblical call to justice that's action-oriented, not just to talk about something. Actually, the Bible says, don't talk about it very much, just do it. Do it. Be the change. Act justly. Move to action. And the biblical call is action guided by love. In 1 John chapter 3, there's this wonderful passage you should all know. It's 1 John 3.16. So we know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Then in 1 John 3.16 is a passage that goes right along with this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Now, if we just stop there, we're going to read more of this passage, but if we just stop there and we pause and we go, what if Jesus, because this is talking about what Jesus did, he laid down his life for us, what if Jesus was just a slacktivist? What if he existed in the realm of social media and was just into slacktivism? And he was just like, hey, hashtag sacrifice, OMG, I would so die for these peeps. He'd pop out his phone and say, crucifix selfie, right? What if Jesus, I I like that one a lot. I thought that was good. I thought that was good. I didn't have my phone. My phone's over there. I was going to, okay. What if Jesus only tweeted that he loved the world? What if that was it? My father so loves the world, Ah, right? It It would just not be the same, but look at what Jesus did. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Okay? He gives us an example. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material positions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Jesus really put it on the line for us. Really, really put it on the line for us. And he gives us the example and calls us to follow doing the same. And of course, the question that I asked earlier, what can one person do? What can one person do with all of the problems in this world? What can one person do? Well, what we can do is this. Just what's in front of us. We can fast we can free up our resources. We can share with those in need. We can, look, we can look around us. We can look around us and just do what's in front of us. This could literally be as simple as giving the, the money that you might spend on your breakfast and lunch and dinner one day, giving that money away to a, a local food bank. It could be um, instead of going and buying groceries for yourself or, or when you buy groceries for yourself. Did you guys know we shop at Superstore? Um, but we shop at IGA here in Beaver Lodge too. But I, all the grocery stores I've been to, they have a little box as you leave, and it's for the food bank. 
So what if you went through and bought your groceries, and then as you're going through the till, you just went, I bet I could do without Cheerios this week. I, I bet I could do without this this week. And choose in that way to fast and put that box. You Maybe buy extra, but what if you just bought what you needed and then chose to set aside that one thing for that week and put it in the box by the door instead? I think oftentimes we make this too big of a chore instead of saying, we have opportunities in front of us all the time to be able to make a difference. So fasting helps us to stand in solidarity with the hungry. Fasting helps us to share what we have. And lastly, fasting helps us to stand against evil and injustice. Now, there is all kinds of evil and injustice in our world. And oftentimes, the evil and injustice is, it occupies a space between the powerful and the powerless. Gandhi made famous um, his hungry, hunger strike and his non-violent resistance to the British Empire, as many others have done. Um, fasting can be this loving, non-violent way to, to protest what we see as systemic injustice. Now, Scott McKnight, who's a New Testament scholar, he writes this. He said, Food joins humans to other humans because we share meals together. Whenever we give up food intentionally, we refrain from relationships. We, when a group protests by fasting, they both negate one relationship with the haves and they affirm another relationship with the have-nots. And since the structures of power always have sufficient food, fasting is not only refusing relationship, but it is also protesting the power structures that exist. That's an interesting way to talk about fasting, isn't it? Now, I am not anti-power structures. I'm not anti-power structures. But what I do know is that many of our power structures exist as the powerful taking advantage of the powerless. That's not always the case. That's not always the case. I know there were some very godly, Jesus-following, powerful people that use their places of influence and power and prosperity to really benefit a ton of people. Like it's amazing what some people can do. And some people have been called to do that. But I also know that there are many other people in that powerful section that they become powerful because they've taken advantage of the powerless. And it's that kind of power structure, that unjust power structure, that we should stand against. We should stand against that. We should call people to being responsible. We should call people to actually using their power and their influence for the kingdom of God, not just for selfish means. Fasting is a way for the powerful. Now, here's the thing. In, Western, in the Western world, we are like in the top 2-3% of the world as far as it is with prosperity. Like even the poorest among us live lives that are so much higher above than most people in the world. What can we do with our powerfulness that will help to advance the kingdom and help the people who are powerless? If you imagine Jesus' example for us, the one who had all the power, stepping into the world and becoming powerless on our part or for our behalf. To fight evil and injustice, we must turn to fasting and prayer. St. Gregory the Great, who's got a really fantastic name, he said, It is impossible to engage in spiritual conflict without the previous subjugation of the appetite. 
Now, he, like most of the saints, saw fasting as a prerequisite to any prayer or breakthrough. Now, he was talking about power structures. He's talking about helping the poor. He's talking about all kinds of things. But he's especially talking about spiritual breakthrough. There's a long-running history in the church of fasting to prepare for spiritual warfare. Now, the, the stuff we've described already is certainly spiritual warfare, but there's also something else going on that's kind of this unseen thing that there is a real spiritual realm happening right now, and there's a real spiritual war going on right now. And so when we come to things like deliverance ministry or standing against the enemy, fasting beforehand significantly increases our spiritual authority over the enemy. God's kind of fast And Isaiah chapter 58 is one where we stand in solidarity with the poor. We share our resources and we stand against evil and injustice in this world. This last type of fasting will have an effect not just on the poor, but also on all of us in the church. Remember, you are Jesus' church. You are Jesus' church. And Jesus' vision for his church is that we are to be a new kind of family a family that's full of peace, a family that's overflowing with love, a family that looks after those that are around us, a family that looks after our neighbors. And in the same way that in a healthy family, there's no way, there's no way that in a healthy family, any member of the family would go without food or shelter if there's somebody else in the family that has food or shelter that they could share. In the same way in a healthy church, there's no way that we should be in a place where, where we would allow someone else within the family, within our neighborhood, to go without the necessities of life. This is the gospel. We've been adopted not, in, not just into a relationship with God, uh, but also into his family, to be a part of his family. And while all families fall short of the ideal, fasting is one of the best practices we have to co-create a new family with Jesus where it can be said, as it was in the early church, there were no needy persons among them. They all shared together as, those, as they had need. Now, you might be thinking that some people need to learn to manage their resources better. That's kind of the common thing, right? When we see the poor, we're like, oh, they, they should have figured out their resources better. If they, would have, if they would have budgeted better, if they would have done this or that or whatever better, then they wouldn't be in the situation that they're in. We don't know that. Might be true, might not be true. And while I agree that we all need to learn to manage our resources better, Especially with more resources you have, the more you need to learn how to manage those resources well. While I would agree with that, the biblical mandate is not not to only help those who help themselves. That's not actually in the Bible at all. That concept that, that God helps those who help themselves or that we are called to help those who help themselves, that's not in the Bible at all. What's in the Bible is that we are to help those in need stop. That's it. Full stop. There's no extra pieces of that. Help those who are in need, who you think deserve it. Help those who are in need, who might be on your street. Help those that are in need, who've helped themselves. Help those who are in need, who have first promised to love Jesus. None of that's in the Bible. It's just help those who are in need, period. That's it. That's it. God's got all that other stuff figured out. And maybe part of helping somebody in need when they, when they are ready to receive it is to step next to them and say, how can we work together to see how we can clean up some of the financial stuff? Because that's good. 
People need to learn how to steward their resources. That's good. But people are also hungry. You know, I'm not going to give you a meal until you figure out yourself. I'm not going to help you until you help yourself. No, that's not biblical. God calls us to help those who are in need. So remember what we've learned so far about fasting in this whole month. Fasting helps us to offer ourselves to Jesus, awakening a hunger within, drawing us into a deeper union with Jesus. Fasting helps us to grow in holiness, healing our relationship to food, to pleasure, starving our flesh and feeding our spirit and developing self-control and self-discipline. Fasting helps us to amplify our prayers, sharpening our ability to hear God's voice as well as giving power to our prayers to, to break through, drawing us closer to Jesus and in intimacy, therefore expanding our spiritual authority. And fa- finally, fasting helps us to stand with the poor, drawing near, nearer to the hungry and those in need, and forming a new kind of community around peace and love and justice. Fasting can help us to do all this and so much more. And our, our hope is that you're not just going to, since January was our month of fasting, our hope is not that you're just going to, I did fasting, I've checked that off the box of discipleship, and now what's next? I can do something else, and I can forget about fasting. Our hope is that you will continue this practice on. Now, we've encouraged you um, to, to perhaps skip a breakfast and a lunch once a week, We've encouraged you to perhaps skip uh, watching television one night. We've asked you to perhaps skip all kinds of things uh, on a regular basis to continue to walk in this way of Jesus, to continue to, to walk in this discipline of fasting. The key for all of this in knowing what is Jesus calling us to what kind of fast is Jesus calling us to? What can we do when we fast? Like, if we're going to fast and give money to the poor, if we're going we're to fast and put our time aside to serve, if we're going to fast and whatever we're going to do, the key to knowing what Jesus is calling us into is to ask Jesus. Ask Jesus, because it's going to look different for each one of us. So here's how I want to close today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And I want to pause for a moment I want to give you opportunity to listen to Jesus and hear him tell you what he's calling you into. To listen to Jesus and see how he was calling you to respond today. So I'm going to pray a, a, a brief prayer here and we'll pause for just a moment and then I'll close off the prayer and we'll, we'll go into our closing song. But let's just take a posture of prayer and let's pray. So Jesus, we are grateful for your presence today. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and bring us wisdom. And we ask the question, Jesus, how would you have us to respond today?
Jesus, thank you for speaking to us and drawing near to us. Help us now to walk out the response you've called us to make. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. So for some of you, that wasn't a lot, enough time, but I'd encourage you later to, to sit and ponder for as long as you would need to, to be able to hear Jesus and how he's calling you to respond. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to close off on our song here, uh, and then I'll come up for the benediction. So Isaiah 58, we read this already. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and, and not turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. It continues, listen. If you do away with a yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins." And will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings. So Jesus, that's what we want to be. We want to be the people who have been called according to your name and your purposes to be the repairers of broken walls, the restorers of streets with dwellings, to be out there establishing your kingdom. So I just bless you now, church. I bless you now. The invitation is there to step into being able to go out from here and being able to be called repairers and restorers, to see the kingdom of God come, to see his will done. And it will cost, it will cost us something. But Jesus, we come to you with open hands. We come to you with open hands. Jesus, use, use all that we have and all that we are. We submit ourselves to you. And may your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. May you be honored and glorified, Jesus, by all that we say and do. We love you, and we are so grateful for your love. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.